Hillbilly Horror Stories presents Eerie Encounters. I want to assure the listeners that each story is true and happened just as related here. Our home, located in rather rural Hardin County, Kentucky, was always identified as an old Indian burial ground, and our now adult children still referred to any odd noise or strange occurrence as the work of the Indian. I don't believe in any such nonsense. I don't put much stock in it. Well, maybe a bit. Or maybe a tiny amount more than a bit. You can judge how much, if any, you believe for yourself after reading these next three accounts. I I have to admit that we did dig up flint arrowheads all the time when I was a child. I also found an old flint scraper in my front yard which I sent to Dr. Margaret Scully. She was a professor of archaeology at San Joaquin Delta College in San Francisco. Dr. Scully determined that the artifact was a product of the Iroquois Indians from approximately 1200 AD. That at least establishes the presence of Native Americans on what is now my property from nearly 1,000 years ago. Our family owns an old, large, and heavy Kirby upright vacuum cleaner. We have two of those monsters, one for upstairs and one for downstairs. With two, we eliminated the need to carry one up and down the stairs whenever we cleaned. There's really nowhere to store the one that we keep downstairs, so that one was always turned off, unplugged, and placed against the wall when the user finished cleaning. One night, around 1 a.m., long after my wife, our three small children, and I had been in bed for several hours, we were all awakened by a loud roaring sound from downstairs. We had no idea what the racket was, so I cautioned Mary and the kids to remain upstairs while I crept down the steps with a kitchen knife in hand to possibly slay whatever was down there. As I peered around the stairwell, all I saw was the downstairs curvy vacuum cleaner plugged in, turned upside down in the middle of the room, a room which is 750 square feet. Oh yeah, the vacuum cleaner was turned on. The roar that had awakened us was the motor running full out with no imposed load. We were, and still are, unable to figure out how that machine got plugged in, moved, turned upside down, and then turned on. And all in the middle of the night with the entire family in bed asleep. That was the first of three stories from Bill in Kentucky. One night, after our entire family was in bed and had again been asleep for several hours, I got up to make my nightly trip to the bathroom. Our oldest son, Zachary, has his room adjacent to our master bedroom. Since my wife Mary doesn't allow me to use her master bath, I have to go out of our bedroom and past Zachary's bedroom door to reach the bathroom. As I exited our bedroom, I sensed something directly in front of me. Thinking it was Zachary, I stopped short, I backed up half a step, and said, Zach, are you okay? Why are you up, son? Immediately, I heard someone walk quickly down the short, eight or so feet long hall. Now that hall opens up onto our kitchen. There's a coat rack on the left side of that hall, and as it was winter, the rack was loaded up with those nylon coats that even little kids really can't tear up. I distinctly heard the person, at least I thought it was a person, walk down the hall 
and brushed past those coats with a swish, swish, swish sound. Now, since I had received no answer to my question from my son, I immediately went down the hall some, and I called his name once again. We keep several small nightlights on at night, and as I entered our kitchen, I could see that there was no one there. Thinking it might have been one of our other children, I went directly to both of their rooms, opened their doors, and observed that both were still in bed and fast asleep. I also went through our entry hall, dining room, and study, and still saw no one there. I even went straight back to Zachary's room to see why he hadn't answered my inquiries. I found him, too, in bed and fast asleep. I then returned to our bedroom, thinking that possibly Mary had been the one in the hall whom I nearly collided with, only to find her in bed and sound asleep as well. I woke her up and told her what I had just experienced, which she listened to with some skepticism. Once she realized that I was dead, pardon the phrase, serious, she got up and we went through the entire house, thinking that we might have an intruder. We found absolutely no one except our three children, still snug and asleep in their beds. All of our entry doors were still locked, as they had been when we retired for the night. The mystery visitor remains unidentified to this day. That was the second story from Bill from Kentucky. When I was a teenager, way back in the summer of 1967, we had a local haunted house just outside my hometown of Elizabethtown, Kentucky. The house, Bethlehem Academy, was over 100 years old and had originally been a Catholic school or a college for young girls. The house had been allowed to fall into disrepair over the years and had finally been put to use as a storage area for baled hay. The rumor that circulated among the young and gullible was that, when still in use as a girls' college, one of the young students had been murdered in a stairwell. Now, the house was three stories, and the rumor did not really specify exactly where on those steps the deed had been done. On top of that, none of us, at least not to my knowledge, ever thought to ask where it happened either. Us teenagers liked to use that house for dares. It was enough that in order to pass the test, one needed to only be in the structure, somewhere on the staircase when the clock struck the witching hour of midnight. We were as teens, much too sophisticated to believe in ghost stories. So, along with my friend Steve and our girlfriends, we decided on that very night that we would enter the house and test our mettle by being on the staircase at the appointed time. We arrived at approximately 11.45 p.m. We made our way halfway up the stairs. We all sat down on the steps. We were immersed in the gloomy light that filtered in through the doorless opening on the second-story veranda and the broken and glassless windows. As we sat there talking and giggling in whispered voices, we looked as the watch's minute hand slowly crept towards midnight. Now, while we two he-men put up a manly front, false though our courage may have been, our girlfriends were pretty openly scared. We considered leaving, but having come this far, we decided that nothing was going to happen, so we just stayed put on the stairs. Just at the stroke of midnight, the wall beside where we were sitting began to shake violently. There was absolutely no sound, but the wall actually appeared to move in and out. Not a one of us stayed to see what had caused the wall to shake, or if there were any other scary things to come. We all, as one, jumped to our feet and ran down the stairs. 
I'm not proud to say it, but I believe that Steve and I were the very first ones out the door. The case of the unknown, it's unfortunate, but it's every coward for him or herself. We made our way quickly to our car and sped back to the familiar comfort of our local drive-in restaurant. Once safe back in town, we discussed what had happened, and we all agreed that whatever it was that had shaken that wall and our courage, it could remain where it was. We certainly had no intention of ever disturbing it again. That was the third and final story from Bill from Kentucky. My dad was getting ill, and he and I had talked about what to do with his dog, Noodles. I told him, Daddy, I'll make sure that Noodles has a good home. I was not interested in having Noodles in my home, and I told him that a couple of times. When my dog died, I still had Penny, who was very aggressive to dogs and very, very old. My brothers wanted Noodles to stay on the farm. Well, my dad died, and we buried him. My nephew moved into the old house. About three weeks later, I was sitting at the end of the dining room table, paying bills. I looked up to the other end of the table, and there sat my dad. I looked at him, and I burst into tears. I told him, don't leave, don't leave, Daddy. I cried for a while before I could speak again. When I opened my eyes, I was amazed to find that he was still there. He sat there, and he spoke to me, saying, You told me that you'd take care of my dog. I answered, Daddy. Your dog is taken care of. Noodles is on the farm. Everything is okay. He repeated, You told me that you would take care of my dog and that you'd find it a good home. I think that it needs to come here. Noodles needs to come here. I insisted, Dad, I can't do that while Penny's alive because she's dog aggressive, very old, and senile. And the boys don't want Noodles coming off of the farm. They want Noodles to stay there right now. You told me you would take care of Noodles. I assured my father that I will take care of Noodles. I will make sure that Noodles has a good home. And right at this moment, Noodles has got the same home that he's had for the last two years. He just gave me a look, got up, walked into the office, and through the office wall and disappeared. I sat there stunned. I eventually went back to writing my bills. I looked up a while later and my dog Penny was having a big spasm, like a seizure. I looked at her and grabbed the phone while I reached out and touched her. She was cold. Her lips were cold. I called the vet to say something really bad is wrong with Penny. She's cold and out like a light. He asked, is she alive? I said, yes, she's still alive. He told me, Barbara, she's dying. Do you want me to come out and put her down? She's not in any pain. I thought for a moment and replied, This dog's old, but it's got a lot of gumption. I'll call you in the morning. I hung up the phone and I called out, Old man, do not kill my dog. She was too big to move, so I covered her up and then I went to bed. When I got up a few times in the night, she was laying right there behind the couch near the hallway. The next morning, I checked on her and she was fine, her little tail tapping. She lived for three more months. After she died, I was without a dog for about six months. I fostered dogs and walked them for a few weeks, but 
I never found a dog that I bonded with. And then my nephew moved out of the farmhouse. My brother stayed there for a while. Then he was going back to California. What are we going to do with noodles? I said, I'll take him. I didn't know it at the time, but I got the best end of that deal. But that was something to see my father after he died. There he was. That story is from Barbara from Kentucky. That story was from Barbara from Kentucky. We've lived in this house near Jellicoe, Tennessee for 40 years, but we didn't start feeling anything unusual, like there were ghosts around, until a few years ago. Matter of fact, I didn't believe that spirits existed, but I started feeling the presence of other people and it really bothered me, but I didn't want to mention it for fear of being accused of going crazy. Months after, I'd begin to question my feelings. I asked my husband if he had felt the presences and he began feeling the same thing. Lately, I've smelled a scent that I don't recognize. It's a very strong smell, and it woke me up once. It disappeared after a few minutes. The TV changed channels with the remote on the table. It didn't jump channels. I saw it type a number onto the TV. There have been other things, like my computer shaking and the feeling of somebody hovering over me. I wonder why these things are happening now. I had a sister with whom I had a love-hate relationship, she died almost three years ago. There was no hate on my part, but she was very angry with me for reasons that I could never really figure out. Yet, she did love me too, I think. Was this her? I do wonder if these kinds of things continue, get worse, or just go away. My sister lived close by, but she never called or visited without a reason. For instance, if my son or brother were at my house, she would come visit here. And then, I wouldn't hear from her until there was some other reason. She was my only sister, and she was five years older than me. She was very different in the sense that she was a perfectionist. I'm a little on the impulsive side, and I don't take a lot of time with the things that I do. She did believe in all sorts of things that I thought were crazy, like she went to a fortune teller some years ago. She didn't share a lot of the personal things with me. The only thing that I can think of for her anger or jealousy was that I had kids who she loved dearly, but she didn't have any. But I had a good husband, and hers was rotten to her. The smells are something that I just don't recognize. They're not really horrible and nothing like perfume or good food. The scent's very strong, and my husband has said that it smelled to him like burning cedar or pine. But that's not what I smell. The last incident that my husband shared with me is when we were putting our Christmas tree up. He said he felt like somebody was standing behind us watching us, almost like they wanted us to put it up right or in a certain way. He also senses people in our house. It's just not one person who used to feel like our son. It's lots of people at times. It is scary to me at nighttime sometimes because I don't know who they are or what they want. I wonder if maybe because it happened once or twice that we look to find things that aren't there. There were times when we heard something like a dog jump out of a chair. This was on our back porch that is fenced in, but we went immediately to look. We found nothing there. That story was from Faye from Kentucky. 
You have been listening to Hillbilly Horror Stories Presents Eerie Encounters. If you have an eerie encounter that you would like read on the show, please send it to hillbillyhorrorstories at gmail.com.